Welcome to the Hidden Why podcast. This is episode 863. This is my interview with Frank Cessno. He is the author of Ask More, a book about the power of questions. I hope you enjoy. G'day, g'day, g'day. Welcome to another episode here at the Hidden Why podcast. I hope you're very well. Guys, this is a repeat or replay episode, my interview with Frank Cessno. He is the author of a book called Ask More, The Power of Questions to Open Up Doors, Uncover Solutions and Spark Change. It's a fantastic conversation. It's a fantastic book too. I have read and reviewed it at The Hidden Why, so check that out. If you've heard this episode before, you may or may not want to tune in and listen again. Guys, fantastic interview, asking questions, how we can put to work questions to work harder for us. What questions should we be asking about our lives? How can we use questions to help improve our overall work and life effectiveness. Guys, fantastic interview. Hope you enjoy. Before we get into it, however, I just want to uh, quickly note a couple of things. In 2020, what I'm going to do with the format of the show is do two interviews again weekly. One will be a long-form interview and one will be a short-form interview on a particular topic. I really enjoyed that last year, so I'm going to bring that back. I'm actually going to reduce the amount of solo rent book reviews I do, so I'll just do one a week now, and that'll be either on a book or a topic that I um, am interested in at the time. So I hope you're enjoying them. Guys, if you have any feedback for us, please email me at thehiddenwhyguy at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. As for my book, The Ultimate Life Map, the publisher is currently working on getting that in print form and ebook form. And hopefully, uh, that'll be a nice Christmas present for myself and everyone else that wants to read. Guys, enjoy this interview. Enjoy your Christmas and Happy New Year. Cheers. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Hidden Wire Podcast. I'm here with Frank Cessno. Frank, how are you going? I'm doing great. How are you? Mate, I'm marvellous. You're over in uh, in the States, in Washington at the moment, and uh, doing your thing there. How is it? What are you? Uh, what time of the day is it there? Uh, right now, it's about 9.37 p.m. on uh, Inauguration Eve. So how is it? Washington's a little weirded out right about now, I must tell you. Inauguration this is a very, Eve. It's a, it's a pretty strange time in, in, in the United States. Well, uh it uh, yeah, it must be full on. I couldn't imagine it. I, I don't really follow it all that closely. I'll be honest, um, but I'm interested in your work. You've just released. Have, have you released the book yet? I've just started reading it myself. But it's called yeah. "Ask More: The Power of Questions to Open Doors, Uncover Solutions, and Spark Change." So I'm just uh, yeah, I wanted to talk to you about asking questions so we can inspire each other to to you know continue asking greater questions. That's right. Well, let's, yes, the book is released, just released, yep. and um, I'm very pleased at the, at the reception it's getting. It seems to be especially timely, but really I wrote this book so that people could see questions as tools, yep. as, as, as sort of to leverage themselves, and um, you know, I've been asking questions all my life as a journalist, but I never really had thought about them as tools in quite this way, recognizing that they come in different sizes and shapes and they do different things, mm. and if we're driven by outcomes – we prepare for them differently. We ask them differently. We use different listening skills. Um, and we are driven to these different sets of goals and outcomes and, and often without realizing it. So I hope that this book can shed a little bit of light on that and help people see how they can use them better themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've just started reading it and I love it already. Um, and I know there's, I think you talk about 11 different question sets that we can ask um, to help further define our lives or even you know our businesses or whatever it might be um, what in your opinion I mean you say it's a tool um, that can be used but what what are the benefits of using you know powerful questions 
uh, they can flip, they can turn the tables and flip the charts. Uh, I think, you know, that questions done well do different, lots of different things. First of all, they enlighten. This is how we learn. Secondly, they identify a problem or something. Thirdly, they are empathetic bridge builders. Questions mm. can connect us. Um, we pose questions to ourselves to set goals or think really big. Uh, I think questions, again, properly posed in a room, in a group. Um, can allow us to imagine, really think outside the box because we can create what I call imagined reality. Uh, We use questions to size up our lives. Um, What what have we accomplished? Who have we touched? What really matters to us? Mm. What will we endure? What will we value? And by asking those questions of ourselves and others, we keep ourselves connected to that journey, I think, in, in a way that can be very rewarding. And they're connected to listening, too, because if you're going to be a good questioner, you got to be a better listener if you're going to complete the package. Yeah, and I certainly want to ask you about you know, how we can or what practices you might suggest for us to become better listeners. But we'll get to that in a moment. Um, you, you talked about, um, what did you say then, creating reality or cr- creating... Imagined reality. Imagined reality. What is that? What are you talking about there? All right. So let's just say that you've got a business or you're doing something in life and I say to you, um, it's five years from now and you've achieved your objective. Mm. It's your business. or What are you doing? And in, in that very simple question, I am taking um, you, transporting you into the future, but then asking you in the present tense... And by answering that question in that way, what you do without even realizing it is you leapfrog, you jump right past all the potential impediments. Yeah. Say, well, five years from now, if I'm doing what I want, I'm living on, you know, I'm I'm living on Fiji and I'm fishing, you know, and whatever it is. Whatever it might be, yeah. Right. And then then you say, okay, well, you've just articulated a, a, a really terrific goal. What will it take to achieve that? And you can work backwards. I did yeah. this in an exercise one time in a retreat. It was really, really interesting. I, I'm on a college board, uh, board of trustees, and a facilitator came in and he says, all right, you, uh, it's five years from now. This is the top school. What are you doing? And we then went through and we identified what we were doing in the sciences, the size of the student body, you know, all the wonderful diversity, all the different things that were very aspirational. And he said, okay. He's now, he said, okay, you've now set your goals. Now go do them. Mm. Yep. And it was this imagined reality that we could could incorporate into our lives. It's such a, a powerful tool, and I mean, I I learned that um, you know a few years back when I sort of got into personal development, and and it was something I never really connected with before. But it was a, like a visualization exercise of your future, of your ideal future, um, and certainly thinking about that that imagined reality. It started to put questions around everything I was doing in life, and and what was actually important and what was not. Um, so yes, yeah, certainly a, a valuable um, practice for for everyone listening to to take up and do today to um, yeah just help get better direction in their life. Exactly, and to and 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 by posing it as a question, you then force yourself to answer. Mm. I, I think this sounds ridiculously naive and simple, but. It, uh, take this. Take the period off the end of a sentence and put a question mark there. What what that does is it whether you're asking it of yourself or somebody else, it creates a conversation. It forces a conversation because by posing the question, presumably, you you, you force the answer, uh, and and that's a thought process and an exercise in actually putting into words what what you are thinking, so you can you know hold them up to the mirror and see if they really fit. I like that. So remove the period from the sentence and, and pose it as a question. 
Yes, or as I like to say, given our political culture and and and, and brash culture these days, um, we need fewer exclamation points and more question marks. Yeah, yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> what um, what else did I see then? It just left me. Oh, the the questions at, at the moment that people are asking. I did read um, in your bio there that that you sort of feel that we as a society aren't longer or any longer asking great questions and that we need to bring it back what is that still your feeling or is i think it's under siege i mean so many people are so consumed by technology so many people are so overwhelmed by the amount of inform incoming information whether it's email or text or mm. you know social media or what have you yeah. and the need to create a quiet space and the need to create a quality conversation with somebody else if you know, what you're doing right now is you're doing an interview. You're asking me questions about my life, my book, whatever. And I've done this many times. It's where this comes from. But how many times do we do that in real life with friends? Hmm. And sit down and say, well, you, know, you, you know, you get together with some old friend. You haven't seen them in two years. And, and really a, a thoughtful series of questions that are designed to draw somebody out. Simple questions, one at a time, not, you know, five, five of them piled on top of one another so somebody goes all over the place and the conversation has no shape. I really want to know how have you been doing? How is your wife? How are your children doing? What is everybody doing? Um, and and, and I, I, there's a category of question I write about called empathetic questioning, which is really intended to draw somebody out. Somebody's had a crisis in their lives. They've lost a parent. Their marriage is broken up. They've been sick with some disease. How are they doing? A woman came up to me tonight. I was at a dinner. And I, when I learned that her husband had died about six months ago, I called her and she said, I just want to thank you so much for calling me, she said, because so few people did that because nobody knows what to say. Yeah. And I, I, what I said was I asked. I called and I said, I'm so sorry to learn of the loss of your of your husband. How are you doing? Hmm. That's all it took. It's, um, yeah, it's so true. And I, and I, I agree with what you said then, you know, we need to create the space. And my thoughts asking that question was exactly that. I think we're so overwhelmed and in this chaotic world, going from one thing to the next, never really taking the time to breathe and sort of just ask the questions. And um, I talk about it often because that's the the time when I started asking questions about my life and what I was doing. And that's when I started to really make the transition to how I'm living life now and, and certainly it's it's more aligned with how I want to live life not not how I thought I had to live life right um, right so certainly that's based but I love the idea of talking to to your friends and and having those really good conversations as well and I'm you know I'm fortunate enough to have several friends that we can have those conversations with because they are absolutely beautiful they are and, and you can start with something you know you start with something called the open-ended question which is a which is a you know a, a very open let somebody go where they are. And it sounds silly, but it's as I did with this woman, as I said, you know, in fact, one of my favorite questions, I, ha I have a neighbor who, um, whose wife recently died of cancer. And when she was still alive and fighting the disease, I went up to him one time, we were having a neighborhood gathering, a pig roast. And he was there. And I said, you know, how you doing? And he said, well, you know, not so well. And he talked about his wife and what she was going through. And I just turned to him and I, and I said, um, how's your head? And he, he went off and that he, you can go anywhere you want with something like that, but mm. that's, and that's where the listening comes in Yeah, as you follow someone. If they want to talk, you can go there with them and ask them something else. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you, you know, it's, it's, it's an incredible, as I told you with the story 
you know, a moment ago, this woman coming over to me, I never gave a moment's thought that I was doing some gigantic, wonderful thing, picking up, you know, the phone and calling her and telling her that I was thinking of her and how is she doing? But it meant the world to her. Mm. And clearly, because months later, she came over to thank me. So, you know, not that I'm any great thing, but that's the that is the power of the question. I, you know, I say that, um, in, in the book, you know, the, the, the well-known expression, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. That actually isn't true, I think. Mm. I, I think serious questioning is a sincerest form of flattery because when I ask you about your life, about how your job is going, about where you want to go, about whether you're happy, how's your head, whatever, I am saying directly and indirectly, hey, I'm interested in you. I, you know, I, I care. Uh, I'll listen. That's a great compliment. Certainly, and I, yeah, I certainly agree with that fact. Um, do you feel that sometimes, and I don't know in your, obviously in your experience, you've, you've come across this, but sometimes I feel when I'm getting asked questions, I don't know, like I'm, I'm having too much attention or being put on the spotlight, and sometimes it makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, is that something you've approached before, and is there a reason yes. behind it? Yes. <laughs> in fact, this, this conversation that we're having, I, you know, I, I'm a journalist. I'm used to asking the questions. I'm not supposed to, I'm, I was raised in the tradition of journalism where we're not, you know, we're not supposed to be the story. The reporter's not supposed to be part of things. Hmm. That's changed a bit now. But so suddenly, you know, be having people asking me a series of questions like, oh, well, I'm very self-conscious. How do I know what I'm talking about? I'm, you know, whatever. So, yeah, I mean, I think, and, and, and I've, I've experienced this with my children is, you know, I'm curious. I'm just going to ask a bunch of questions. They say, dad. Back off. <laughs> mm. This is, again, why, why one needs to listen. Um, one person's, you know, caring and curiosity is another person's intrusion and snooping. Mm. And so some people will respond very well to this. Most will, in my experience. Most people want and enjoy um, knowing that someone else cares about them enough to ask. Mm. But there are times and there are topics get too close and people get uncomfortable. And that's why in the chapter on empathy, I talk an empathetic questioning. Mm. I speak a lot about um, body language and watching and listening very closely for words, facial expressions, tone of voice, pacing that might indicate someone is stressed or, or perhaps uncomfortable. And then you back off, you give them some time, a very useful tip that, that uh, I learned and that I pass along is what I call making an appointment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, you and I had a <clears throat> rendezvous with destiny to speak at this particular time. I knew you and I would be talking. You knew you were going to be asking me questions. I knew I was going to be answering them. Sets expectations. Mm -hmm. You go to your doctor. Uh, you know your doctor is going to ask you how you're feeling and why and what's wrong with your knee and whatever. You go into the office prepared for that engagement. If you have a therapist and you're exploring your life at 10 o'clock on Wednesday morning, you go expecting to be asked and to answer. Right. So if you want to have a, kind of a conversation like this with somebody, parent, friend, whatever, mm. make an appointment. Say, hey, you know, how about let's go have a coffee tomorrow and let's just talk about whatever. And you're kind of setting that expectation as opposed to, it's no you know, surprise. The, yeah, it's not the random, the random thing that comes out of the blue and says, well, what do you ask me that for? And, and, and people can, can so that's oh, another point. Another yeah. trick. Not make everyone the, likes a surprise party, do they? Yeah, make the appointment. Make the appointment. Good point. Um, okay, I want to ask you about some empathetic questions. I got this, and just on that topic, I, I just spoke with a gentleman this morning, and 
And um, actually going back a little bit further too, just for the listeners, have a conversation with people you know. This podcast for me, it, it is amazing how much it lights my day up and lights my life up having conversations with people like yourself, Frank. I mean, I, I just had a few weeks off where I didn't do podcasting because I went away with the family and things like that. It was sort of sometimes hard to get back into it. But once I did it again, it's just amazing how I how I feel from having these conversations. And that's because we're just exploring and questioning and having that human connection. I think it's really um, an essential point to, to just touch on once again. Well, it's, it's because you it's because you, you clearly like people and you're fascinated by their stories and you enjoy the engagement, right? Mm, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you can learn something. There's just so much to it. I mean, there's just so learn, much complexity yeah. to, to life that um, you can just draw out of a conversation. I exactly. had a, uh, yeah, the gentleman I spoke to this morning, anyway, he he had a situation uh, several years ago where his wife was diagnosed with a pretty serious illness and, um, you know, it caused a lot of changes in their life. But he, he, he opened up and said he was never asked how he was feeling. Everyone would always say, hey, how's your wife? How's she doing? Blah, blah, blah. And never once did he get asked how he was feeling. And that was, and there was one day when someone did actually ask him and that, that was a real eye-opener for him, you know. He didn't, he just needed that question. He needed someone to show that care. Right, you hear this stuff all the time and, mm. and, and what, a, what a difference it's made. I have a very good friend who's a woman who's single, she was a single woman for a very long time and she was really looking desperately for for a mate. Mm-hmm. And uh, she would go on these dates and she would do eHarmony and the online dating and all these other kinds of things. And she would say, uh, she was actually an inspiration for the book in many ways because she said, you know, I go and I meet these people and I sit down and all this guy wants to do is talk about himself. And he never asked me about me. <laughs> We've seen the movies like that. <laughs> right? And it's, again, it's, it's one of these things that's so powerful to just ask someone about themselves and listen and then ask again. Mm. Again, I have an exercise in the book. I have a few little exercises people can try. And one of them is sit with someone you know for 20 minutes, engage them, ask them about themselves. And there are two words you may not utter during that 20-minute period. I and me, hmm. you are fully focused on that other person. And if you think about it, the number of times a conversation you'll be having with somebody else and suddenly they'll turn it back and they'll tell you about themselves when you think you were just telling them about something that happened to you. It's what I call the I, syn- the I syndrome. <laughs> the I syndrome. So remove <laughs> the, the word I and me for that 20 minutes and, and I guess that's a practice to really help you focus on, on your listening ability. Yes. And, and an awareness about how you respond. Yes. yes. I like it. Was it. Born, it was born of, a, of an assignment that I gave my students. I, I asked them to do an oral history and, and urged them to do the, an oral history with a family member. Yeah. Because of the recording and it's a great gift, gift to posterity, right? And every single student who interviewed a family member, remember, the people they had lived with all their lives, learned something huge, profound about that family member mm. simply because they asked. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and I, I don't think we, we, well, I don't, in my family anyway, I don't believe we do that, that whole questioning thing as well as we should, and perhaps that's because we've lost some traditions there, you know, like sitting around the dinner table with the family. Everyone yes. seems to be in front of the TV uh, with meals these days, you know, and um, one of the one of my mentors, he, he talked about how he has the ritual of sitting down with his family and they go around the table asking questions and, and sharing, you know, certain gratitudes, et cetera. Um, right. Which I think are fundamental practices. Yeah, absolutely. I asked everybody I interviewed in the book what their favorite question is. Hmm. 
Good. And it was really, really interesting. And there was one guy I spoke to, um, he's, a, he's a rabbi, and he's a spiritual care advisor at a hospice hmm. in, outside of Washington, D.C. And he talks to people and listens to people at the end of their lives. And the questions they ask that he was describing to me, that people ask him at the end of life as they're confronting their own mortality, imminent mortality, it's just amazing. But mm, wow. his, his favorite, I asked him, what is your favorite question? And you know what he said? He said, my favorite question, what did I learn today? Mm. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's your favorite question, Frank? Well, it depends on the, the, where, I, where, I'm, where I'm hanging out. If I'm hanging out with the folks here in Washington, my favorite question is, how do you know? <laughs> because you know? everybody, yeah, everybody is so sure they've got the answer to, you name it. And so my, my question is, how do you know? Yeah. How do you know that Obamacare is bad? How do you know that Obamacare is good? How do you know? Whatever it is. So, so that's one of them. But, like but yeah. yeah, but my, 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 my other favorite question is, how are you? Because that is the, that is the front door to um, human relationships, really. And not just asking, and how are you, and then you move on. But it's how are you, and you listen, and you, when you're really trying to trying – to, um, figure out how someone's feeling or what they're you know, achieving or what they're afraid of or, or, or something in life. Even, yeah, because, I mean, how are you? It can be such a short response answer, but if you it's, can it, really become good at picking up on the signals, yeah. like you said, yeah. body language, et cetera. Right. And, you know, you, mm. you in, in, in your podcast and in your, in your life are kind of emphasizing, the, you know, in connecting people with, with what they value and what matters in life. And, you know, I... I I have a chapter. I actually, it's the same chapter that my friend, the rabbi, is in the, the legacy chapter. It's all about that. It's all about our personal narratives. Those things that we can ask ourselves, not just at the end of life, but as we go, that give our that give us meaning. Yeah. What do we do? What would we like to read in our own biography? What do, what would we like to accomplish? What do we want to be remembered for? What do we want our story to be? And you do that as you go. Who have I touched? What have I contributed? What have I added? Mm. I think, and I want to go to those questions um, that this this friend, this rabbi friend of yours, um, obviously having those questions come from people that are that are on that on their way out. What sort of questions came up? I'm just interested. Um, what's on the other side? What's on the other why side? Why is God? Why is why is God doing this to me? Uh-huh. Why is this taking so long? What will it be like to be in the ground? What did I really accomplish in my life? So just a couple of those questions there. I mean, they're questions that certainly I don't think about. Like, what is well, not often enough anyway. You know, what what is what is death, and what's on the other side, and what's it like to be in the ground? Yeah, profound. That's that's what they're asking. But they also ask about the narratives of their lives. Mm. In fact, there was a study that was done in um, Australia a few years back um, that captured the narrative of people who were at the end of their lives, where they talked about. What they actually, what they did is they, they talked about their lives, what they had accomplished. The person they talked to wrote it up as a, what's, uh, as a generational narrative, a story, and handed it back to them. And all the people who had reflected on their lives and what they did and what gave them meaning were, were felt more positive and were happier for having done that. And the, the lesson there is being conscious, and to me, not just at the end of life, but as we go, that there are things we are doing, people we are touching that are extraordinary mm-hmm. and that have value. 
and that make a difference. Yeah. And that makes us feel good about ourselves. Mm. And, and you can, people can define that however they want. For some people, making a difference might be working with a, a child in poverty. For somebody else, making a difference might be designing an amazing piece of clothing. Yeah. We can be creative in the way that we, that we ask those questions. But I think being conscious of our own personal narrative yeah. Yeah. is a, a, a great an uplifting thing to do. Yeah, I think, um, sorry, I'm just taking a note. Those, um, you know, how we feel in life. I mean, it's, it's, it's such an important factor. And, and again, being conscious of, of that and knowing sort of what makes us feel good. That, that's the stuff that we need to incorporate more of. Um, and I just said this to another gentleman this morning, again, that same guy is that, you know, I looked at last year, 2016, and I said, well, what, was the, what were the things that I was doing that were causing the most suffering? And I believe most of my suffering, most of our suffering that we have as a human race is self-caused. So mm-hmm. I said, what are the things that are causing most of that suffering and how can I remove them and do more of the things that make me feel good? Um, mm-hmm. And certainly that's my motivation for 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's around how we feel. With, with um, that in mind, what... I mean, going back to the questions that we ask each other, I feel that there's a, yeah, just a very lack of purposeful questions being asked. And, and certainly for me, I, I'm just seeing, you know, thinking about the scene at a party or something like that where you meet up with someone you haven't seen for a while and they're just this sort of surface-level, surface superficial sort of questions that come about that are just general chit-chat. They have no substance to it. Yeah. Can that be avoided or is that just part of a lack of listening so we can ask better questions or is that just the reality of our society? Yeah, it's probably a little of both. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people are going to be people and it's, it's, you know, at some level you have to roll with all of this and at another level you can shape it. Uh, you know, you wouldn't want to walk around asking heavy questions all the time. You're not going to be very much fun. No, uh, that's, uh, <laughs> that's probably pretty you know, true. <laughs> I, you know, every, everything is, as, 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 Plato suggested in moderation, right? So mm-hmm. moderation is a good thing. But I, 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 I'll share a few questions that uh, that I that I cite in the book. Remember, I talked about this last chapter, my chapter where you know this this guy I met um, who's a spiritual care advisor at, at hospice is hearing from things. But I included in this chapter um, a a, par, a a lift from an email that a friend of my daughter's sent her. She's twenty four years old, and she wrote the following. What are we supposed to do? Should we all have jobs that mean everything to us, that consume us? There are wonderful occupations and careers out there that offer rewarding and fascinating experiences. But is that the dream? What else is there to devote one's life to? What do we give most to and receive most from? Relationships? Is a relationship supposed to be your whole life? What do you escape to when you're not at work? A cause or a mission? Hmm. Try to save the world? I love that. It's just such an, you know, it's such an interesting thing from a 24-year-old trying to size up her life and what matters and figure out what has value. And that's brilliant. And I, I absolutely love it too. I feel, um, you know, sometimes that a lot of people wait until they're sort of retired or get to the end where they have a bit more time to reflect and think about things. And that's when they start really reflecting about what's, you know, important about life. Um, but at 24, I mean, that's just great to be able to start asking those questions. And, and you know, with those questions, you'll, you'll just find greater answers, won't you? 
Uh, maybe, or you may, it may be torture and you may not. You know, some of those things actually don't have answers and, and this young woman is struggling a bit. But that's okay. I think struggle is good. She's having the conversation with herself. What it has done without question is it's made her more aware. may not be easier, but it certainly has made her more aware and tuned in. And she's a very purposeful, mindful person. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I think it's really very healthy. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and again, 24 is, it's, it's one of those that the stage of life where there right. is still a lot of confusion, right. you know, what's it all about? Right. What am I doing? And, and um, it's so easy. What's my it's, purpose? So easy it? it's so easy, isn't it? To just kind of dash through life. Right. I mean, we spend our days when, you know, you, you can be in reactive, oh, well, I'm answering my email and I'm doing this and then I got to pay my bills and then I got to go shopping and then I got to wash the dog and then I got to walk the dog and, and, and never really, engage these things. And, and it really is the reason that I both wrote the book and, and really believe so in the power of questions because they can change a dynamic. If mm. you turn a statement into a question, if you turn something back over to someone else, you, you grant them authorship and, and, and you create a, an opportunity for listening to yourself or to someone else, depending on who you're posing the question to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, um, what are, what are some, going back to empathetic questions, and I know you've got a lot of different categories we'd talk on, but I'll encourage people to pick up your book and have a read, but asking those questions around, you know, those difficult times, and I, I find it very difficult to ask the questions. What are your tips there to, you know, ask better empathetic questions? Well, first of all, it depends what the time is and, and depends, you know, in someone's life or what, right. what's happening. So for some people, you may be, you know, they may, um, they may be going through a crisis where, uh, they don't like their job. Okay. But they don't know what to do about it. Do they quit? Well, then what replaces the paycheck? Um, is it their boss and everybody around them? Or are they doing, you know, am I doing something wrong? And they're kind of really churning on that. Or you may be talking to your teenager and your teenager um, is feeling very sad uh, and unpopular and going through all those gyrations that adolescents go through. The empathy in that question is, um, tell me what's going on. Uh, where is this coming from? What is troubling you or exciting you or scaring you or whatever that emotion would be? Um, and um, how do you size that up, put that into into perspective? There's a radio host here in the United States by the name of Terry Gross. Mm. She has a show called Fresh Air, which is very well known by many people here who listen to it. And Terry especially likes interviewing authors and artists and really creative, complex characters. And the purpose of her empathetic question is to get to the essence of, of what they are, for them to explain the essence. Empathy is standing in someone else's shoes. Yeah. It's, it's not trying to understand what they're seeing. It's literally trying to see what they're seeing, imagining you're seeing it and being able to see it. Yeah. And, and that um, allows a type of questioning. Now you're the teenager who's feeling unpopular and it feels like everybody's watching you when you walk down the hall. And at the end of the day, you're the only one who doesn't have plans with somebody you feel. Mm. Now I feel that isolation. I feel what that's like. Let me ask you about that. Mm. How are you going to react to that? Why does that bother you? Why not be proud of being alone and turn that into creative time? Carve your own way out. You know, so I, I think that no, notion of empathy is so important. It also drives it's really good, yeah. It drives yeah. listening. It drives listening in a very different way. Yeah, I, certainly. I mean, if you put you put a lot into perspective there, but if you can step into someone else's shoes, you'll you'll really be able to help 
I mean, obviously ask greater questions because you'll be able to see sort of what they're seeing, but um, you'll be able to give that support too, which is um, is what it's all about. That's right. I, I started that experience when I was doing a story one time as a journalist. I, I was sitting with four welfare moms, four mothers who were on public assistance. Um, every one of them had a substance abuse issue. They all had... Um, uh, been in and out of work. Uh, most of them were unemployed. I think three of the four of them were unemployed at that particular time. One of them had a, a very low-level job. Uh, one of them had six children. And of the six children, two of them had very serious medical issues. One of them had a congenital heart disease. Yeah. And she said, I want to work, but I've got these six kids, two of whom are sick a, a lot. But I've got a job interview tomorrow. I'm really excited about that. I'm going to go for my job interview. And she had told me that she had a substance abuse issue at one point in her life, and she basically acknowledged that she was functionally illiterate, but by God, she had that interview the next day. And it was a children's hospital, and I said, well, what are you going to be doing there? I mean, what's the job? She said, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's greeting people or something. And I said, well, and do you know what you're going to get paid? And she said, no, I don't, but I think it's minimum wage, but it doesn't, but I want a job. And I realized minimum wage in Washington, D.C., with six children and I tried to stand in her shoes and I was terrified by what I saw and thought of because there's no way yeah. you can man- manage six kids and make minimum wage. And I mean, how do you get out of that? Mm. Made me think completely differently. Yeah. Wow. What, what, are, um, what are one of the, the greatest questions you've asked? Uh, well, in your opinion, the greatest questions you've asked that has led to some profound change or insight. <laughs> well, let me start by telling you about a question I asked that led to an explosion <laughs> when I didn't do a very good job. Yeah, good. And I tried. I was interviewing Yasser Arafat, the, the, the president of the PLO, the Palestine Liberation Organization, as we all know. Mm. Some viewed as a hero and others as a, as a, as a uh, terrorist. Yeah. And I was doing this in front of 250 people here in Washington with cameras rolling from all over the world. And um, I wanted to ask him about a thing that was going on at the time, which was an uprising, one of the Palestinian uprisings, and children were dying in the streets. And there was a great cry from people from all over the world, really, including the Queen of Sweden, of all people, calling on the Palestinian Authority to urge parents to keep their children inside, to urge the children to stay inside, keep the children out of harm's way. And they wouldn't do it. And many people thought they wouldn't do it because they wanted more pictures of more suffering to you know, have more propaganda points or whatever. Mm. So I thought, okay, I got to ask this guy about this. I mean, I got to ask him. How, how do you, and um, sorry, I don't want to interrupt the story, but how do you, actually, we'll come back to it, but I want to ask you how, how we can ask those courageous questions. Well, that's what <laughs> I tried. So I talked to all sorts of people who knew the region. I talked to people who knew him. I said what I want to do. Said, how do I frame this question so he won't just shut down? Hmm. Well, people said, appeal to him as the father of his people. Um, somebody else said, don't talk about the past because he'll just go down that, that, that rabbit hole. Turn him on the future and, and, and you know, set him up. Somebody else said, and you, in the question, make sure you acknowledge and respect his, his stature. So I did that. I said, you know, um, I, I think I maybe I, I don't remember whether I called him Chairman Arafat or President Arafat or something, but I used his, his title. Yep. And I said, people look to you for great moral, with great moral authority and believe that you could, you know, you can uh, shape the future. I think I may have even said something like that. And then I proceeded to ask him, that, you know, 
you know, would you call the, the children in, you know, in order to protect their future or whatever it was. And he exploded at me. He stood up. He yelled. He wagged his finger. He said, are you calling me animals? He was insulted by it, or at least he mm. played the show like he was. And that's why I write that confrontational questioning, where you're trying to hold someone to account, seldom produces an answer, whether it's from you know, somebody like that or from your own child, if you're confronting them over something that's gone wrong or a colleague at work or someone who works for you, you confront somebody. They seldom will drop to their knees and say, oh, thank you for asking. Yes, I'm a liar. I'm a scoundrel. I stole money. People don't do that. No. They, they, they get defensive. They get whatever. So those sorts of questions are for the record questions. So anyway, when you ask me what's the toughest question or the, that, uh, that would probably be one of them. Mm. Uh, that, that would be tough. One of the best questions I asked was in the early days of the HIV AIDS um, explosion and, 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 and epidemic. And I had a man by the name of C. Everett Coopy was the U.S. Surgeon General at the time on a show I was doing at CNN. And I asked him about this. And this is at a time when this disease was referred to as the gay plague and nobody wanted to talk about it. And the president was very early on. And he disregarded all the politics, all the ideology, and he answered like a doctor. And he spoke about safe sex, and he spoke about use of condoms. It was the first time I'd ever heard that word on the air. And he spoke truth, and he handled it like your doctor. Mm. And I thought that was a remarkable thing that I have never, ever forgotten. Yeah, wow. Nice. Do you have any other... Uh, I know there's a lot more to, we could cover, but do you have any other tips on how we can ourselves ask our, you know, ask better questions? Yes. So I, something I call the echo question, which I think is one of the most effective things that you can do. Yep. It's tied to good listening, so you're listening very closely. You listen for emotion. You listen for surprise. You listen for a fact that, or a, or a data point that really is sort of that's really kind of big. And then you literally take the one or two or three words that, that person said and you echo them back with a question mark and stop. So, for example, we're talking and I say, how many podcasts have you done? And you say, I, you know, I've, I counted up just the other day and I've done 304,000 podcasts. And, and I say, wait, 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 304,000? And you will say, yes, I started when I was three and I've done five a day ever since. And I never thought I would do this. And I love it. And you'd go and you'll go on. That echo question is a punctuation point because it's, you know, it's an exclamation point on, on something. Uh, it's especially useful for that because it gets everybody to kind of reflect that this Bring one. Comes yeah. And then people go, we'll, we'll drill down deep. I saw two people uh, interviewing. I was doing this as an ex, sort of an experiment in my class. I had two students interviewing one another and. One asked another, the one student asked the other what the most difficult thing in their childhood was. And she said, well, it was when I was in school and I was, I needed extra help with, with math. And, um, they came and they took me out of my English class every day so I could go get extra help in, in math. And when they did that, it was just humiliating when I went, but I, you know, I went and blah, blah, blah. And they went on and on and on. And he never asked me about that. So when he was done, I, I turned to her and I said, humiliating. And she said, Yes. I felt inadequate. I felt stupid. I felt singled out. And she proceeded to, to kind of pour herself. And all I did was take a I word that she yeah. and throw it back. So that is, that is something. 
it drives great listening and it, and, and, and it, and it prompts um, remarkable responses most of the time. I do like it. Now, I've got some questions to ask you, Frank. What are your routines or rituals that you believe contribute to your success? Um, I'm just a curious person. I, I, I am really interested in people. Yep. And I want to know what they've done, why they've done it, where they want to go, what they want to accomplish. Um, I also, I would say one thing that's, that, that contributes to uh, whether it's success or not, I don't know. But I, I really try to see every issue from multiple angles, mm. um, whether it's a political issue or a cultural issue or whatever. So I'm just interested in, you know, it's like a, there's a sculpture in the middle of the room and I want to walk, walk around it. I want to see it from all sides. Why, why is that important to you? Because I see things that I didn't expect. It's like that welfare mom that suddenly I'm, you know, I'm, I'm challenged to think of it in a different way. I, I, I connect with that human being in a different way. I've learned something about her and through learning about her, about humanity. Yeah. And I think that we would all um, do better at understanding people who are not like us yeah. by doing that. You... Yeah, we, we all look at the statue with our own judgments and perceptions. We don't get to see, like you said, walk right around it. Right. It's why I like traveling the world. I love immersing myself in other cultures and, and learning about how people eat and celebrate and sing and dance and think and grieve and all these kinds of things, not just, you know, what they built and what they <laughs> have for breakfast. Yeah. Okay. And what what advice? I mean, you've, you've been asking questions for um, decades. What advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Um, to ask, well, actually it, it really would be literally to ask more. It's, it's not just the, it's not the first question the first time it's, it's knowing that you're going to ask, um, in layers, you know, questions like grapes come in bunches, I believe. And, and, and so it's being deliberate about those questions and posing, um, those questions to yourself as to others in order to, um, like that. 24 year old I was telling you about make you think and to challenge yourself. And that's the other thing I think is to challenge yourself, to challenge your own biases, to challenge your own conventional wisdom. One of the persons I interviewed for the book is Colin Powell. Yep. Um, and Colin Powell is in my strategic questions chapter where you're looking over the horizon and deciding whether you're going to do something that contains great risk or potentially reward or great cost and assessing whether you should do it. And Colin Powell has, um, what he calls the commander's rule. And the commander's rule is that he would bring his commanders in to meet with him weekly and he would challenge them to challenge him mm -hmm. and their own biases and conventional wisdom. And then he had what he called the commander's rule, which is the person driving the conversation speaks 30% of the time so that others are speaking and he, the commander, is listening 70% of the time. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is what we should... That's what I would have told my 20-year-old self. Yeah, good advice. <laughs> I what just in um, going you've just pricked my brain going back to asking because I I sometimes ask questions that um, don't come out the right way I think they offend people and and I'm lucky enough that I don't get punched in the face sometimes but it, it is from a sense of a deeper curiosity I'm really interested and intrigued why people do certain things and behave certain ways how can we better ask those questions without offending um, project that you care. Uh, it's a tone of voice matters. Mm. Words you select matters. Are they accusatory words or neutral words? Neutrality is easier okay. uh, for someone to hear. Yep. Um, 
the, the making of the appointment matters because you set an expectation that you're going to have this conversation as opposed to ambushing somebody and making them feel on the, that they're on, to the, on the defensive. I have a chapter in the book where I talk about questions without question marks. Hmm. The person who uses this is a guy who's a psychologist. He does a fascinating, fascinating work now. He consults with the U.S. Secret Service, FBI, U.S. Marshals on how they should question people who have threatened the president's life or could be a, a threat to others, be a mass murderer. You know, people will write these letters and he's an expert in what's called dangerous threat assessment. And that is just, you know, you write a letter like that and I find it or I see your email or whatever it is. And I have to figure out whether you are just making noise and angry or disturbed or might you really pull the trigger and do something terrible. Yeah. And he will say something to you like, well, you've written this letter and you, you say the president is um, the Antichrist and um, deserves to die. Um, you know, a lot of people feel that way. Tell me about that. That might literally, that is literally how he'll pose a question sometimes. It's not a question and as a result doesn't put someone on the defensive. And what he points out in the parallel here is yeah, he's yeah. talking to somebody who is defensive, wary, hostile, suspicious, um, probably is a, is, is a loner, who probably doesn't feel anyone listens to him. And through his questions without question marks, he tries to give them the sense, the feeling that someone is listening. They're not alone. Mm. Right, and that matters. I like that. Okay, very cool. Um, what is one question, if, if you were to give advice to the people out there listening that are maybe at a fork, to, uh, a fork in the road of life, looking for a new direction or more meaning in their life, what sort of question would you suggest they ask? What matters to me? What makes me feel proud? Yeah. Um, what would make my friends and family proud of me, the people who would care most about you? Mm-hmm. What makes a difference? Where can I make a difference? What would make a difference in my life? Uh, I have a whole series of these in this in this one chapter that you know I sort of challenge people to to think about themselves in that way. These are the these sort of big questions, and and I think those are, those are the ones. What you know, what matters? What what would you like to read about yourself if someone wrote a biography about you? Yeah, yeah good question. Okay, and Frank, what's your favorite food? My favorite food? Yeah. I really like Chinese food. <laughs> Chinese food. I really like nice, spicy Sichuan uh, chicken. Uh, broccoli is very good because I know it's healthy for me. Salmon is wonderful. Um, so those are those, those are among my favorite food. What's your favorite food? I like uh, Japanese. I like all food, mate. I, I, I have trouble with favorites um, because it depends on the mood I'm in. But uh, Japanese food is certainly up there at the moment. Sushi. Uh, and anything that I cook with passion, I seem to enjoy. Yeah, I, cooking with passion would, would do it. I, I, I interviewed somebody about job interviews, and she said she loves doing just what you just did, is you know, asking these kind of these curveball questions because they prompt somebody to, to think quickly and all. And one of her favorite questions, which you should try, is what's your favorite aisle in the grocery store and why? Mm. Yeah, I like that. I thought about that, and I figured, okay, for me, it's going to be the coffee. It's where the coffee is. Comes from all over the world. Smells amazing. Is grown from the ground. Can actually be fair trade and done well. And whether it's espresso, cappuccino, or instant, 
it is a testament to the creativity of the human spirit. How did I do? How's that? I like it. I like it. <laughs> Coffee aisle. Well, that's a, that's a, you've trumped me. Um, I, I, I'm just thinking about the most joy in, in the supermarket. I, yeah, I don't know. I think the fruit and veg section always yeah, excites yeah. me. And then certainly the, um, uh, the meat section, really. Um, about fish, you're, you know, where, you know, isn't fish a big thing? Yeah, well, over here, I mean, I don't really go shopping as much as I used to. Um, my partner does it for me. But, um, yeah, certainly going through the, the the produce area, you know, everything's different. So it's, it's really exciting for me to walk through there and just see what, what next is going to be crazy in, in the fridge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's certainly an enjoyment. Well, but, um, right. Interesting yeah. question. I Yeah, what's, the, what's your favorite leisure activity? My favorite... Um, well, believe it or not, I love horseback riding. Hmm. Um, I, when I was a kid, my mom found a great place for me. I went out to the Rocky mountains and I rode, um, very adventurously and and went multi-day camping. And when I get on a horse in the wilderness, um, it's just this magical, quiet, perfect place. Yeah. And I feel I've got all the strength of this animal below me and all this beauty around me. And I would say there's nothing better than that. Mm. It's important that you have something like that in life, I think, that you can just escape to and, and uh, disappear. Yeah. And I, and I love traveling. I mean, I love I, – I, I had a sabbatical and I was living in Europe for a time. And I, I uh, went down and spent a bunch of time in, in New Zealand – a few years ago, and I've got a bucket list a mile long of places I want to go in the world. Mm. So, keep making it happen. Do you have a favorite book? No, I don't. Um, I mean, I have lots of books that I love. What's one you recommend for the audience to read that maybe you've read recently? One that I've read recently is a book that was written by a, a friend of mine, actually, that will probably resonate with your audience a lot called Life Reimagined. And uh, it is a book about the rediscovery and the importance of things in midlife. And she defines midlife very generously. And she, she, she researched and weaves in everything from the arts to the science of aging and fundamentally concludes that what matters most is your relationships with other people. Okay. What's but her name? Her name is Barbara Bradley Haggerty. And it is life reimagined. We'll have to get her on the show by the sounds of it. Sure. I'm sure she'd love that. Life reimagined. So just on that note, what what do you feel is the meaning of life or what's important? Well, if I could figure out the meaning of life, I would have written a different book. I've never really, you know, I've I've struggled with that. Mm. Um, It's more than having a good time. To me, it's making a difference in someone else's life, doing something that has value in my own life giving back in some way, creating in some way, which is the unique human gift that we have, right? Yeah, that yeah. We, are, we are the most creative creatures um, on the planet. We can do, we can create beautiful art and amazing music and Absolutely. delicious food and all that. So, I, you know, that, that to me is, but I, you know, I don't know what happens next. So there's a few things there. Why, why are those, you know, why is giving value, why is you know, creating and self-expression, why are all those things important? What do they ultimately lead to? Um, I think they express what we are as human beings and our potential, our potential to reach out and be generous and give and connect with another human being and help someone else. 
that's what being a parent is all about, right? Is mm. paying it forward and, and, and creating the future through, through the life that you, that you generate. And my mm. children are the most important thing to me in, in, in the world. Yep. Um, creativity is, is the human expression, and whether it's music or art or theater or science or, the, or words on a page, whatever it is, that, that expression of creativity. And people can create with the gardens in their, in their backyards. They can create with the, with the vegetables they grow. But that sense of creating something, I think, is so, so important. I know people who don't create anything. And I, I, and I feel that, that, that they are often, I don't know, this is not scientific. It's observational purely, but, but frustrating. No, I agree. I think it's an enhancing element of life. And, right. Um, the question, uh, what, if, if you were to take away your ability to, to create and, and do what you do and give value to other people, what would be lacking without those things? For me, just a sense of satisfaction and feeling that I'm making some use of my time while on this planet. I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not very good, you know, as just a material person. I, it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me how many things I have. I mean, I want to live a nice life. Everybody wants to live a nice life, but yeah. I don't aspire to that. I don't count. To me, that doesn't matter. That all goes away. That all, that's, that, you know, to me, what matters is how is somebody going to, you know, going to remember me? Will will they think that I helped them or contributed in some way to something that, that they valued? That would be the most important thing to me. Yeah. Okay. What do you have a, a quote, um, the one that resonates with you, an all-time favorite, or just one you've come across recently that you really enjoyed? One for this book. I was interviewing um, a guy by the name of Gavin Newsom. He is now the lieutenant governor of California. He was the mayor of San Francisco. And he has a plaque on his desk that is a quote that is now among my favorites, which is, what would you do if you knew you could not fail? Hmm. What would you do if you knew you could not fail? I do love that question. Isn't that great? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a thing that holds us a lot of us back from from pursuing our interests and our passions and the life that we wish. It's more imagined reality, isn't it? Yeah, I like it. <laughs> hey, what do you think? We all have a why, a purpose, a greater purpose. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I, I no, not necessarily. You know, some people are going to live very very nice lives and be very moral human beings by living day to day. And doing what they need to do and providing for themselves and their families and doing nothing more. Um, I think there is a moral code that should guide all of us in terms of how we treat others and decency that we that we direct towards people and the planet. Mm. But um, I don't think there is a universal shared why. Because yep. yep. there's just too many people from too many different experiences with too many different points of view for there to be a one-size-fits-all why. Too many variances, yeah. But if we come up with that, we should work on that because if we do and we publish it, we'll get very rich very quickly because we can answer all the questions of life with one, you know, <laughs> one good paragraph. Yeah, well, here's the trying. And yes. I'm, I'm certain you've answered this question, um, but I'll ask the, this question anyway. What does living life with passion and purpose mean to you? It means that I do something I'm proud of. It means that I have a goal in life. It means that I can focus my energies. It means that I can measure my success. It means that I can define something that will make me happy. Yeah. With passion and purpose. Passion is I, 
you know, we love something, we care about something, we dedicate ourselves to something. Purpose is we set ourselves a goal and we achieve it. When I was in high school, you know, we have these yearbooks here in the United States and we, you can put a, a slogan underneath your photo and it's going to be there forever. And I grew up in a very wealthy, snooty little town in, in not too far from New York City, which I didn't like very much. And here's what I nearly wrote. Here's to our town, a, people where people, a place where people spend money they don't have to buy things they don't need to impress people they don't like. <laughs> yeah, like and it. fortunately, I didn't do that because that's way too cynical for an 18-year-old to put in his high school yearbook. What I ended up with instead was something I don't even remember where it came from. But it was just this. One of the most rewarding things about doing something is having done it, which was, I guess, my adolescent way of saying accomplishing things, setting goals and accomplishing things, having a purpose and then you know, achieving that is immensely rewarding mm. because you prove to yourself you can do it. You then can move on to the next thing. You're a person of action. Yeah. I think that's a sort of a definition of success is, is really achieving the things that you set out to achieve. Um, and, and, and it is. And, you know, you asked me a, a while ago um, what my, one of my favorite questions was. And here, here's another one. And I, I've had this conversation with people many times to, your, to the point you were just making. How do you define success? Hmm. Really be think, thoughtful about that. Is that a Idol? Is that money? Is it how big a house you live in? Is it how much traveling you? I mean, and that's that's what your what you, some of what your questions are here in terms of purpose and all is what do we consider to be successful in a world that's so big and small at the same time? Hmm. Yeah, powerful questions, uh, Frank. You're an interesting man. Interesting questions, and certainly shared a lot of insight. And uh, a lot of energy too at that time of the night for you after probably such a big day uh, over there. <laughs> so I appreciate that. How can people find out more about you? Obviously, I'll stick the the book, Ask More, The Power of Questions to Open Doors, Uncover Solutions and Spark Change into the show notes at thehiddenwire.com so they can grab a copy and, and have a read. But how else can they connect with you, Frank? They can go to askmorebook.com, yep. just askmorebook.com, and they can read about the book and they can read about me and they can see some of the comments i've had in the press and the media of late and if they want to contact me there's a page to contact me brilliant okay no i don't know if it's brilliant but i hope it works <laughs> <Should work. laughs> very interesting it's been very interesting you know working on this book and developing a line of thought and it is a surprising you know questions are kind of like air hmm. they're all around us and we don't think about it very much unless something's gone wrong yeah but to, to understand it better, I, 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 had a, I came from a dinner tonight of very prominent people, and they were utterly taken by this conversation about questions and listening and, and how we do it and why it is that we so desperately needed to do it better. Hmm. It would be a it's, – it's actually, you know, I'm writing a book at the moment, and it's, it's an opening chapter of my book is, is asking questions. Oh, um, when it comes around life, so I want to see what you do. I'm, um, I'm glad I've had this chat with you. Yes, well, I'm really glad I had it with you, and I wish you luck with the book and all else. Thank you, Frank. Well, we'll connect again. And um, look, audience, jump onto thehiddenwire.com, check it all out. I'll stick the show notes there so you can uh, reach out to Frank. 
pick up a copy of his book and yeah, enjoy the key takeouts. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this with you. Thank you, Frank. Thanks, guys. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcasts. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is lee martin Utsi. until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon